Hi, I'm Scott Morris, your host and moderator for this month's edition of the MacLearning.org webcast. I want to remind the viewers watching today's webcast that you can ask us questions through that little iChat uh, window at the bottom of your screen, and we will have a Q&A session at the conclusion of today's presentation. Joining us in the studio today is Mike Shabanik, Senior Operating System Product Marketing Manager, and today he will be talking about new features, new accessibility features in Leopard, and I want to welcome Mike today in the studio. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Great. Well, thanks. It's really great to be here. Thanks for joining us today. I, we see that there's people from all over the world joining us for the webcast today, and that's fantastic. So what I want to talk about uh, is accessibility in Mac OS X Leopard. Um, there's a lot to say, and we love getting your questions, so make sure you send your questions in as you think of them during the, the broadcast today. So here's the quick agenda. I want to talk a little bit about Leopard. It's brand new. There's a lot of new features in there, and many of you might already know some of those features in Leopard, but I want to make sure we get uh, some of those top features covered so we know what it is we're controlling with these accessibility features. We'll also talk, of course, about general universal access features that are in Leopard, some of the new ones. And uh, then we'll get into VoiceOver specifically. VoiceOver is our technology for the blind and low vision users, uh, a screen reader technology that's built into Mac OS X. Then we'll talk about some of the new additions in Leopard. And of course, we'll talk at the end about some of the cool things that you might not have noticed in there, and also how to learn more about using VoiceOver and uh, some of its additional features. So let's go ahead and get started. Mac OS X is brand new, Mac OS X 5.0 Leopard. Uh, it just came out last Friday. And uh, it's the sixth, I believe, of uh, the Mac OS X series. Of course, we always call them after cats, and this one, of course, is the Leopard. In Mac OS X Leopard, there are over 300 new significant features, and we have these listed on our website, apple.com slash macOS10. So you can take a look at those at your leisure if you want to. And um, there's actually a lot more in that plus than you might imagine. And in fact, in VoiceOver, as we start the demo, you'll find some of those additional um, plus features. So this is what Leopard looks like. It's got an all-new interface uh, for the dock. It's 3D. It's reflective. There's a new sort of frosted glass look for the menu bar at the top. Um, there's also some great new features um, in the Finder as well for finding files. Uh, one of the cool new things about the Finder is it's arranged a lot like iTunes. So if you're familiar with iTunes, you'll have a, a sense of how this is laid out. On the left-hand side of a Finder window, you'll have a sidebar, and the sidebar is now organized into categories so you can find things more easily. And we have a new feature called um, CoverFlow that you'll find in iTunes, but now also you'll find in the Macintosh Finder. It's just a great way to flip through things visually um, if you want to, and there's an actually an accessible way to, to use that as well, which we'll show later. There's also a great new feature called Quick Look. Quick Look is very cool because it allows you, just by pressing the space bar when you have an item selected in the Finder, to open it up and view what's inside, even if it's multiple pages. Even if it's a movie, you can play the movie. If it's an audio, you'll hear the audio play um, in a large window without having to have the application that created it. This is really cool because now if somebody sends you a Word document and you don't have Word on your machine, you can quick look it, it'll open up, and you can see the document. You can read it, you can flip pages, and that sort of thing. Same thing with pictures or movies, audio files, all sorts of things. And Quick Look's based on a plugin architecture, so while we ship a bunch of plugins in Mac OS X Leopard, it's possible to add more later or for developers to create new ones so you can quick look new types of documents that might come in the future. One of the other really cool things in the Finder is the ability to share your screen. So if you do technical support remotely, if you have a family member that needs some help, now with Mac OS X Leopard, you can reach through the internet and with permission of the other person on the other side, um, you can actually control their system and they can watch 
as you're controlling it so you can troubleshoot or demonstrate something or show them something. This is going to be a great tool for people who need assistance but don't have anyone local. So if you're in a remote area and you have a problem, um, you can call somebody up or you can, in fact, use iChat because there's screen sharing in iChat now as well. So you can have the audio conversation through your computer and have them assist you or watch what they do, um, answer questions, and, and just generally um, share the same computer at the same time. So it's a very cool new feature and it's built into the Finder and in iChat in Mac OS X Leopard. Probably one of the most talked about features in Leopard is Time Machine. And Time Machine is a really cool solution to a really nagging problem. Because if I asked you to raise your hand and how many of you back up routinely and automatically on your computer, probably most of us would say no, even though we know we're supposed to and it's the right thing to do. And the reason that most people don't back up is because it's a pain, it's hard, it's complicated, and retrieving things is difficult. There hasn't really been a good, easy way to do that. So built into Mac OS X Leopard, is something called Time Machine. And Time Machine automatically backs up everything on your computer every hour to an external hard drive, or if you have a Leopard-based server or Leopard machine with file sharing turned on, you can back up to that as well. And then you go back in time when you need to find a file that you've lost or thrown away or just can't find. You go back in time and the computer will actually show you what your system looked like then. Then you press restore and it comes back to the current day on your current system. It's actually really fun and easy to use, and we think it's going to be absolutely dr dramatically great for people who lose files all the time or can't find something, or if you're like us, um, just would like to go back in time and maybe restore their system to the way it used to be last week, or um, just recover a file. So here's what Time Machine looks like when you go to retrieve a document. It has a regular finder window, um, but it also has sort of a new background. It's got a timeline on the right and sort of a replacement on the bottom for the menu bar with uh, the, today's date or the current date that you're looking at if you go back through time, and a restore button on the right. So once you find the file you're looking for, you just click restore and the, and the file comes back to you. As I mentioned, iChat's gotten some great enhancements. There's a ton of features that have been enhanced for text chat. There's tabbed chats now, so you can keep track in a single window of multiple chat sessions. Um, you can be logged into multiple chat services at the same time and have different conversations with people no matter what their service happens to be. Um, you can also um, do screen sharing, as we talked about. And there's cool backgrounds and backdrops you can add as well. Um, and of course, you can do audio chats, you can do video chats, you can do text chats, and uh, screen sharing, as we talked about. One of the other really cool things in Mac OS X Leopard is Boot Camp. And why this is great is because it's allowing more people to come to the Mac who have an application they can't let go of. Or maybe they're just anxious or nervous that they might need to run something someday. And so now it's just a great way to get to the Macintosh, enjoy all the benefits of Mac OS X Leopard. But if you need to run the occasional Windows app, you can get your own copy of Windows using the Boot Camp Assistant, partition your hard drive dynamically so you don't have to erase anything or restore it. Um, it'll make two spaces on your computer, one for the Mac files and one for the Windows files. And you install Windows. And when you start up the computer, you'll be able to choose whether you want to run Windows or Mac on your Macintosh computer. And of course, this is specifically for Intel chip-based Macintoshes. Um, one of the cool things about Boot Camp, of course, is that it runs at the native speed of the computer because it's not being emulated. It actually turns your Mac into a real PC. Now, this is cool if you have specific accessibility things for Windows that you need, um, or if you're used to perhaps JAWS or Window Eye screen readers and you're moving to VoiceOver on the Mac, you can go back and forth and still get your work done as you're learning the new system. So it makes it easier to transition from Windows to the Macintosh. So that's a kind of a quick overview of some of the cool new features in Leopard. That's sort of the top 10, if you will. Uh, maybe not all 10, but you get the idea. 
And as I mentioned, there's over 300, including a bunch of accessibility features. So let's take a minute here and actually take a look at specifically some of the accessibility features in Mac OS X. Most of the features are found in system preferences for universal access. And this is a picture of what universal access looks like. And we've divided up the features into these tabs. So across the top, you'll have a tab for seeing, one for hearing, one for keyboard, mouse and trackpad is the other one. And so depending on which need you have, you can click the tab and see the different features that are available in Mac OS X um, in universal access. So rather than just sort of show this to you on screen, why don't we actually go into Mac OS X Leopard, have a look around, and try some of these universal access features ourselves. Um, to give you a sense of some of the features that are there, here's a quick list of some of the accessibility features of Mac OS X. And I've put in yellow some of the ones I think will be kind of fun to see and that we'll, we'll highlight during the webcast today. But there are a lot more, and I encourage you to go take a look at these and investigate these um, on your own time later when you have a chance. Um, some of the things you may not have even thought of, like a talking clock is built into the Macintosh, so it can tell you what time it is without you having to ask or look at a, at a, at a clock. Um, we do lots of different um, customization features for key commands. If you've never actually reprogrammed your keyboard, you can do that too in the Mac. That's actually built in. So let's take a look and um, let's try out Mac OS X Leopard. So here's the Mac OS X Leopard desktop. I have a window open. And some of you I know may be following along today, um, just listening in. Um, maybe you have a low vision or blind. And some of you, of course, are watching what's happening on the screen here. So I'm going to do my best to describe in words what's going on while I'm demonstrating. So if you're just listening in, you can, you can follow along as well. So this is the new um, Finder window. Like I said, it's arranged a lot like iTunes with a sidebar on the left. Um, there are categories now for lots of things. We have our search categories that are sort of pre-programmed with all of the files I've touched today or things I've touched last week or yesterday. Um, there are your popular places, so your desktop, your home folder, the applications folder if you want to launch an application. And as I go up the list here on the left-hand side, um, there's a shared item as well, a category, that actually goes out and finds all the computers on your local network. So they're easier to find and access. And you can just double-click to open one up and connect as a, as a file sharing client, or even screen sharing if you want to. I'll close that one for now. At the top of your devices, so these are things you plug into your computer. Of course, your Macintosh hard drive, where everything lives, is, is showing up as a device. In my case, I have an iDisk because it's a, I belong to the .Mac subscription service that Apple offers. It provides you sort of an internet-based storage location for documents and files you might want to share or just have backed up in some place where you can get to them no matter where you are in the world. In my case, I actually have an external hard drive attached. It's, this one's called G Drive Q. Um, it's just a LaCie external hard drive. It's connected with FireWire. It could be connected with USB. And I have that attached because that's what's using, uh, being used for time machine backups. So by plugging it in, my time machine will automatically, without me having to do anything, back up all of my files to that um, every hour on the hour so that I can recover those later if I want to. I'll close that one up here. So uh, a couple of things that are kind of interesting about Mac OS X, things that we might take for granted but we haven't really thought about in terms of accessibility. Probably the most interesting one is Zoom. So it turns out Zoom is on by default. And if I use the uh, control key on the keyboard while I scroll the mouse or use two fingers on the trackpad, I can actually zoom in quite an amazing amount. So you'll see that I'm zoomed in on the mouse cursor. I can zoom back out. And as I move the cursor around, of course, it tracks and follows me. So this is probably one of the most well-known features uh, in Mac OS X. Um, it's built in. It's not an extra application you have to launch or buy or install. It's just right there by default. Now, if you're like me and you move the mouse a lot, you can start getting very dizzy very quick. So I'll stop doing that. And uh, one of the things you might not know is that you can adjust that. 
So I'm going to go into the system preferences from the dock. I launch system preferences and universal access is in the lower right hand corner so I'll click on that and now I'm into the universal access system preferences. And you can see of course the tabs as I showed before, um, the voiceover um, on and off switch and the zoom on and off switch. The one I want to point your attention to is the options button near zoom. If I go into options, I get a lot of ways to customize zoom and one of my favorite things to do is to go into the section toward the bottom that says when zoomed in, the screen image moves how? And there's three options. Continuously with the pointer is the one that's selected. The one I actually prefer is called only when the pointer reaches an edge. So I'm going to enable that and now if I zoom in and move the mouse around, you'll notice that the screen stays still. So that takes away some of that dizzying effect. And what happens if I move the mouse toward the top, I'll just do it slowly, you can see that the screen now as I move up actually will move with me as I need it. I can go to the left in the same manner. But if I go back to point to something, the screen stays nice and steady. So this is not only great for presentations like this, but if you have low vision and need to magnify things, um, you can zoom in. And of course, this is all live. So if I press on a menu, you can see that the menus all interact correctly. If I move to the right, I can scroll across. Uh, I'll click somewhere else to get rid of that menu. And then I'll zoom back out. Let's do that. Whoops. I got to close up the, uh, the options first. And then we'll turn off zoom. Hey, it's not going off. All right, well, a little technical difficulty there. Um, let's see what we can do. Hmm. Let me log out real quick. Now let's log back in. Sorry about that. No problem. So I just want to remind uh, the viewers that the, the, the chat window, the bottom of the viewer window, is a way to provide us questions for the end of today's webcast. Uh, but there's no way that we can actually respond to you through chat. So I've, I've gotten some questions. If anyone's here, I can see your questions and comments. Uh, but again, I can't text back to you. We'll address those on air at, at the end of uh, today's webcast. So again, thanks for your questions, those that have submitted them. Um, but uh, if you haven't, go ahead and uh, text in those, those questions and I'll get them here in the studio and be able to respond to you that way. Um, the good thing is I, I noticed we've got people uh, viewing the webcast uh, across the US, but also a number of international viewers. So I wanna thank you for joining us uh, from other parts. And I'm guessing in some cases it's uh, late in the evening. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see we've got folks uh, outside the U.S., it's always good to have a, a broad reach for these webcasts. Um, so we'll uh, we'll get the system uh, set up again here and get back uh, to the demo. Um, the other thing I would uh, ask our viewers is to check out uh, the MacLearning.org website. That's MacLearning.org. We've we've done some uh, refreshing on the site itself, um, and we're interested to know if you can. Um, gain access to some of the materials we've posted there, specifically uh, under the uh, bottom left-hand side, Mac Learning at ALI. Um, we've got some new applications and some uh, code 
snippets for iTunes U administrators. I know there was great demand for those. Um, we've made those available to you now without having to log in and, and, and have a password into ALI. So please try those if you are an iTunes U administrator or know somebody who is. And uh, the last thing on, on the new materials, uh, we will be posting um, some building blocks for Blackboard integration with iTunes U, and those will be hosted on the site uh, very, very soon now, so check back with us there. And it uh, looks like we're ready to go back to Mike. All right, thanks. Sorry about that. A little technical glitch, but I think we're back on track here. So back in Universal Access, um, one of the things I wanted to mention, too, that often gets overlooked is the cursor itself. Um, you can now, in the mouse and trackpad tab, and this is true in Tiger as well as Leopard, um, scale the cursor up so it's much easier to see. And of course, you just put the tip uh, where you want to point to, and you can turn features on and off that way if you want. In my case, I'm going to go ahead and zoom that back down. Uh, but I'll leave it up a little bit so it might be a little bit easier to see what I'm up to while I'm in here. Hey, one of the other things that's interesting about Universal Access in Leopard is a new feature at the bottom. There's a checkbox here called Show Universal Access Status in the menu bar. And we did this because in some cases people will turn on different parts of Universal Access, sticky keys or mouse keys, um, things like that, and then forget. Or maybe someone else walks up the computer and it's not acting the way they expect. So when I enable that checkbox, if I go into the upper right-hand corner of the screen here, you'll actually see a brand new menu extra that lists all of the different universal access features and their state. Now, you can't actually change their state. This is really just sort of a status area to, to know what's running. But I can see the cursor magnification is on, black and white, flash screen is off, mouse keys are off, and that sort of thing. So if you happen to walk up to a computer and you want to know if some of those features are actively running, that's a great thing to enable and to be able to look at later just real quickly. One of the other things I wanted to mention, too, while I'm here, um, we do support sticky keys, uh, which allows you to press corded keys uh, in sequence. So for example, if I turn sticky keys on here, in the upper right-hand corner of your screen where I'm circling the mouse, you'll actually see the keys as I press them. So if I do something like Option and Apple key, um, you'll see those symbols here. Here's the little butterfly command symbol and the option symbol. And then I can press another key, and when I press the final key, it's as if I had pressed them all together. So if you have motor skills difficulties, um, you can press each of these keys in sequence instead of having to cord them simultaneously. It just makes the Mac more accessible for some of those keyboard shortcuts. So in this case, I'll press T, uh, and it will actually give me the little character palette, uh, kind of a cool little shortcut there. And uh, I'll just put that away. But uh, I just wanted to give you some sense of some of the features that we've had in Mac OS X for quite a while um, that you may not be familiar with. Let me turn that one back off. A couple other things you might not think about but can be really helpful. Um, and this is new in Mac OS X Leopard. I'm going to go into the, uh, the Finder, and I'm going to ask to show the view options. And this has changed a little bit. So now you can uh, have control over the grid spacing between the icons and the desktop Finder. Uh, you can change the size of the icons themselves, which is great. And you can change the text size. Uh, in this case, I'll make it maybe 15 points. So again, if you have low vision and need a, an easier way to find things in the Finder, even using the traditional icon view, um, you can do that very easily here. And if you want these to hold true for every window that you open, at the bottom of that Show View Options is a Use as Default. And that will set that view for every single window you open down the road. So let me move those back just a little bit. I'll leave them big so they're a little bit easier to see. And I'll go ahead and put that away. So there's some really nice things that are just sort of basic features of the Macintosh that also apply for accessibility. Um, one of the other things I want to talk about for just a minute is QuickTime. 
So QuickTime is built into Mac OS X, and QuickTime, of course, enables us to play uh, different movies and, and different uh, motion media. In this case, I have a movie here called One Six Right, and one of the cool features in QuickTime that's in Mac OS X Leopard, and actually uh, in Mac, o I guess it was in QuickTime 716, is the ability to play closed caption content. So this is the same um, 608 standard line 21 closed captioning you'd see on television that's been now attached using the compressor application from Apple um, to this video so that you can actually hear it, see it, and of course read the caption. So let me launch that and play just a couple seconds of it and you can see what that looks like. Asking someone why they love to fly is almost like asking someone why they like Picasso. The beauty is the fact that you can't really describe it. It's something you have to behold. Flying takes you into another dimension, literally. As ground-based people, we walk this way, we drive that way. But in the airplane, we go this way. And we add an entire dimension. We see, feel, and experience things that people who don't fly will never know. So that gives you a flavor for what closed captioning will look like in QuickTime content. And uh, you can get content that way when you purchase it, or you can add that yourself if you're a content creator. You can learn more about QuickTime and QuickTime content creation on Apple's website. So uh, take a look at that when you have a moment. OK. Well, let's go back to um, our presentation. While I'm launching uh, the slides here, We'll take a look at just a couple more features in um, Mac OS X Leopard. Why don't we take a look at the uh, quick look and the, um, let me hide that for just a second. So a couple more things here. So we have the icon view we talked about. We have the list view and the column view. But one of the new views in Mac OS X Leopard is the cover flow view. And cover flow allows us to quickly look through items. In this case, I'm going to look through uh, my documents. Um, I can slide, uh, let me describe this for you if you're not actually seeing what's happening on the screen. Um, the cover flow view gives you um, a larger preview of the content of your documents in the top half of the window, and the bottom half is traditional list view. So you can scroll through the list by arrowing, or you can drag across or click on the uh, thumbnail images, if you will. And these are actually bigger than thumbnails, they're pretty large. So I can drag the slider and move right, left to right and see the actual first page, just the way it's going to look when I open up the document without having to open it. Um, or I can click left or right on the items themselves, the, the icons, the pictures, to move through my cover flow view. Just as if you were going through your albums in iTunes or using an iPod Touch to, to flip through your albums that way. When I find something I like, I can press the space bar and it opens up into an even larger window. And this can be full screen or it can be uh, just a window. Uh, the quick look window, which allows me to actually scroll through this document and look at it without having to launch an application. So it's very, very fast and very, very convenient. Now, I show this to you because later we'll actually do this using VoiceOver Screen Reader and just the keyboard. So these features that I'm showing are actually going to be accessible as we talk later on. So let's put that away for just a second. Go back to our presentation here. Let's see. pick up where we left off. So we had a chance to see the cover flow view, the quick look view. We talked about screen sharing. And we talked about Time Machine, where you can go back in time and recover files should you need them. And of course, iChat, a great way to stay in touch with people and remotely control a computer. Bootcamp allows you to move to the Mac a little bit faster and a little bit easier if you're used to Windows. 
We want to make it as comfortable as possible to move to the Mac, and this gives you that safety net of knowing you can still run those applications should you need to while you're learning the new system. So universal access is sort of our collection for universal access features, uh, special features for accessibility. But as we talked about, there are a lot of features in Mac OS X we don't always categorize as universal access that actually can help quite a bit. So let's focus now on VoiceOver. VoiceOver is a screen reader technology. And for those who aren't familiar with that, screen readers basically speak to you what's happening on the computer and allow you to control the computer using just a keyboard without having to use a mouse or look at the screen. So, um, it's actually pretty fun and interesting to use. And of course, it's great for people with low vision or no vision. But it can also be used by a variety of other people as well. Um, people with learning disabilities, uh, dyslexia, people maybe perhaps using English as a second language. Because we've built in some features in VoiceOver that allow you to actually see and hear and do all at the same time. And when you can activate all of those senses, more and better learning takes place. And of course, it makes it easier to use the computer. So when we, we created VoiceOver in Mac OS X Tiger, version 10.4, about two years ago, and we asked people, what would be your wish list if you could create a screen reader from scratch? What would you want it to be? And we heard, of course, lots and lots of uh, comments. And we've taken all of those and, and really thought through those as we've built VoiceOver in Mac OS X. The first thing we heard was, it should be a full-featured screen reader. It should allow you to do everything you want to do on your computer. Um, not just be sort of a helper or a little utility or sort of it does one or two things, but it really should be a universal technology. And so we've really taken that to heart. People also said it needs to be easy to learn and use. So we don't want lots of complicated things to do. We want to be able to figure it out quickly and get some success. So that encourages you to learn more and use it more. Of course, Apple is famous for making hard or difficult technology easy to use. Um, that's one of the hallmarks of what we do. The other thing that was interesting was they asked to have it on every single computer. Now, if you've ever purchased a screen reader before, you know that they're quite expensive. They can be $1,000 just for the software. And once you have that, you put it on your computer, but now it's only on your one computer. So unless you're carrying your computer with you everywhere you go, you don't have access to a screen reader or someone else's computer. So if you're traveling or if you go to a library or a friend's house and they don't have that $1,000 screen reader on their system, you can't use it. And we really think it should be universal. So we've actually put the screen reader technology inside our every computer that we make. And it's been that way since Mac OS X Tiger. Of course, that also reduces the cost. If it comes with the system software, it comes with the computer, you don't have to pay extra for it. And you don't have to install it separately, which saves a lot of time and trouble as well. The other thing that we heard about is it needs to be really reliable. If it crashes a lot or if it stops and I can't hear the computer anymore, I'm stuck. So um, we've designed it to actually have a heartbeat. And we can monitor that. So if it does stop for whatever reason, which it doesn't usually, but uh, if it does stop, it will auto sense that. And in less than a second, it will actually reactivate itself. So it comes right back so fast that what customers have told us is they never really even realized it ever stopped. Um, and that's exactly the way we want it to be. The other thing that people asked for was it needs to work with all the other accessibility features. So if I prefer to use zooming and I want to use that while I'm using my screen reader, they should work together. If I want to use um, mouse keys or something to control the, the mouse cursor while I'm using my screen reader, that should work too. They should all work because they're all built in the same system. That's not really true in most computer systems, but on the Mac, all of these applications work together just like you'd expect. And that's an incredible power because now you can combine all of the different features of Mac OS X, whether they're universal access or not, in a variety of ways to suit every individual for specifically what they need. And learning how to combine those things is actually part of the fun of using a Mac and makes the Mac such a great solution for so many people. 
So what did we do with VoiceOver? Well, we built VoiceOver into the system software. So every time you get Mac OS 10.4 Tiger or Mac OS 10.5 Leopard, of course, on all the new machines, you'll have a screen reader built in. It will be there for you. And we have a universal command for activating it. It's the Apple key, which we call the command key, and the F5 function key. If you press Command F5 on a system running Tiger or Leopard, you will hear the VoiceOver system start up, and you'll be able to use it as a screen reader. Pressing the same key combination, of course, turns it back off. The idea behind VoiceOver is somewhat different than traditional screen readers. Some screen readers really sort of recreate the entire computer experience as this new and separate thing. So that if you're using a screen reader, the things you reference, the things you talk about, how you refer to the computer are really different than how a sighted user would use their computer. And what we heard and what we found was this creates a new barrier that didn't exist before where you, you can't collaborate, you can't work together because you're talking about different things in a different way. On the Mac, what we decided to do with VoiceOver is to extend the Mac experience. It doesn't replace it. So all of the keyboard shortcuts you've learned along the way, or that you will learn, that are universal to the Mac continue to work the exact same way you're used to. The same applications work the same way. You use the same menus. You use the same icons. When someone says drag, there's an alternative in the screen reader for dragging. So all of the things that you reference and, and refer to and use and do work the same way for a sighted and a non-sighted user. And what we found is this is incredible for collaboration. Because now a student who might be using a screen reader can become the expert. Someone might say, hey, what's the shortcut for print? And the screen reader user says, Command P, because they use it all the time. Maybe the visual user always goes to the menu and can't find it in the menu that day. So now suddenly this becomes an incredibly enabling technology that brings people together rather than keeps them separate. So that's something that's really important to know when you're learning voiceover is that you use all of the same features and metaphors and concepts of the Mac, even though you're using a screen reader. It's also very full featured. So while you can get to most things just moving the cursor around on the Mac, the voiceover cursor is very active. It's not just a passive marker of what you're looking at on the screen or what it's talking about. It can actually press buttons and, and dial knobs and drag sliders. So it's a little different than most screen readers in that respect as well. But voiceover is incredibly deep. And we're only going to have a chance to sort of scratch the surface today in the webcast. But I encourage you to take a look at that later and, and learn more. And I'll, I'll show you how you can do that. We also learned that we needed to have some built-in training tools. So getting started for anyone is always the hardest part. And so we've actually built into the VoiceOver system teaching and training tools that are interactive so you can try it in a safe way, learn how to use it, and then grow as you need to by learning new and additional commands. But getting started is very, very simple. In fact, uh, I'll talk about sort of how you get started and what that experience looks like in just a bit. It also, of course, works with other applications technologies. So you can get applications from Apple. You can also buy third-party applications from different companies that are VoiceOver compatible as well. And you can reference their website or, or talk to those vendors of your favorite application to determine if those are accessible or not. But at the end of the day, VoiceOver is really designed for collaboration. The number one rule in our, in our design teams and our discussions whenever we conceptualize a new feature is, does this help people communicate? Does it help them to work together? Because in every case we looked at, we found sighted and non-sighted users sharing information, working as a team, working on the same project. Maybe it was a sighted parent helping a non-sighted child. Maybe it was someone at work um, working on a collaborative project. But in every case, it was people working together and communicating. And so we really wanted to make sure that whatever we do in the screen reader technology improves collaboration. And interestingly enough, what we found was the screen reader user typically was moving faster and understanding more and accomplishing more than the sighted user. 
It's kind of weird, but that's how it turned out. So we had to go back and add visual effects or visual references for things that were happening with the screen reader so sighted users didn't feel like they were being left out. Now that's kind of funny, but it's true, and that's one of the things we think about as we design voiceover. So you'll actually see in Leopard new and additional visual effects that reference what was going on only by audio in the past. So what does this mean? Well, this is interesting because voiceover is the only screen reader that's built into a personal computer. Um, you buy a Macintosh, it's just there. Now, if you take a broader look at how many screen readers are out there and how many people use them, the number of the largest installed base of the most popular screen readers, a couple hundred thousand units. That's a lot. That's a good business for a company. Um, but it's not what we think it ought to be in terms of access to technology. When Apple talks about universal access, we're talking about it with the big U, the big universal like everywhere. So everywhere you find a Mac running Tiger or Leopard, you'll find a screen reader. So how many is that? Well, remember, we ship a lot of computers and we ship a lot of retail packages of Mac OS X. The number's colossal. It's 15 million units installed base. There's 15 million computers you could walk up to in a school or a library, at home, at a friend's house, or in a store, at the Apple retail store if you wanted to try it out, and press that Command F5 key and know you're going to have access to that computer. This is unbelievable. It's never been done. There's never been a time when you could access 15 million computers without you having to carry your own technology with you. Now you can just walk up to a Macintosh and know it's going to be there and use it. And we think that's incredibly empowering, and that's how technology ought to be. So we're very proud of that. We're, of course, going to grow this number over time as we ship more and more copies of Leopard and new Macs. Uh, but we think this puts Apple in a significant position in terms of truly not just saying that we have access, but actually having real access to real computers and real technology in the real world. So I talked a little bit about sort of how you get started. And when you first turn on a Macintosh out of the box, um, you'll get a welcome screen that says, let's get the computer set up. And of course, you'll have some music that plays. When that music fades out, you'll see a screen like this. And one of the cool things about this is without having to do anything, when the music fades out, you'll hear an audio prompt. And I'll put an arrow on the screen so you can see the text that refers to this. But this is what it'll sound like. Mac OS X includes a built-in screen reader called VoiceOver. If you know how to use VoiceOver, press Command F5 now to turn it on and set up your computer. To learn how to use VoiceOver, press the Escape key in the upper left corner of your keyboard. So that's the welcome to Macintosh that every single user will get if they wait for the music to fade away right out of the box. So without knowing anything about the Macintosh, you can get started with VoiceOver. And it's actually got a tutorial called the Quick Start that's built in that teaches you about the keyboard and what keys to press and how to navigate and get information. The Quick Start sounds like this. VoiceOver Quick Start. If you have difficulty seeing the screen, VoiceOver can help you set up your computer. It speaks descriptions of items on the screen and lets you control the computer using only your keyboard. Okay, well, I'll stop it there. If you want to practice that, I'll tell you how to do that in a little while. Um, one of the first problems, of course, is just figuring out the keyboard. Where are the keys? Where's the function keys? The space bar? How do you actually control this? So during that quick start, there's actually a time to press the keys and listen to their names and learn what they are and then actually practice moving around the screen. So um, what I wanted to show you, since I can't uh, give you a picture of my keyboard, is put one on the screen here and talk about how you control voiceover. Now, as we talked about, we wanted to keep all of the keyboard shortcuts you're already familiar with for the Mac. And if you're not familiar with them, if you ask someone else, that keyboard shortcut 
it should work for you too. But that means we have to sort of jam all of the voiceover command keys in between the ones that are already taken. And we thought that would actually turn out to be way more complicated than it needed to be. So what we did is we have um, two keys that you press down. And when you press those keys down, anything else you type goes to voiceover, not to the program that you're using. When you let go of those keys and press the keyboard commands, it goes to the system software or to the application that you're running. So it's a pretty easy concept. You hold the what we call voiceover keys, the control and the option key down, and then you type something else to tell voiceover to talk to you or to move or to, to do something. So um, here's where those keys are located. They're located in the lower left-hand corner of the, of the keyboard. They're very easy to find, of course, because they're on the edge. And uh, the option key on a Mac is really the alt key on a PC. And then actually on the keycap, it even says alt. So uh, if you're not used to the Macintosh, just think of the option key as the alt key. But we'll just call them the voiceover keys. You hold those two down. Now, how do you sort of get started knowing what's going on on the screen? You have to sort of start somewhere. So we built in orientation keys across the top. Function key 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 give you the orientation of what's happening on your computer. So you can listen to what applications are running in function key 1, which windows are open in function key 2, and so on, where the voiceover cursor is, where the mouse cursor is, what text is selected and such. And you literally just walk down that keyboard to listen and learn what's going on on your screen so that you can then get started. Now, to move around and navigate is the, uh, oops, we have two additional keys at the top, um, one for uh, the menu and one for the voiceover utility. Um, F7 and F8. On the right-hand side of the keyboard, of course, are the navigation keys, the arrow keys. And so while you're holding the voiceover keys down, you just arrow up, down, left, and right to move around the screen. And as you do that, you'll hear what's going on on the computer. So let's take a look at that, and then we'll come back and take a look at what's new in Leopard in voiceover and learn about what's changed. So I'm, I'm back to my Macintosh desktop. I'm going to press Command F5. Oops. Oh, here we go. Voiceover on. Finder, Macintosh HD selected. Okay, so this is voiceover system. At the moment, I have turned on something called the caption panel at the bottom of the screen. And this provides a visual reference for what's being spoken. So if you happen to walk up and the audio has played and you, you were helping someone, you can actually see what they just heard by looking at the caption panel. If you prefer, you can even turn off the audio and just use the caption panel and read what's going on as sort of a captioned version of Mac OS X. That's kind of a cool way to use the Macintosh. Now, in the upper right-hand corner on the Macintosh HD, we'll see a black box surrounding the Macintosh HD icon, and that tells me where the voiceover cursor is. This is a new cursor that replaces. It doesn't, it's not the mouse. It's not the keyboard cursor. It's a brand new one. And it references visually what's being spoken to me. So I'll hold down the VO keys and go down one arrow. G drive Q selected. 16 write.mov selected QuickTime movie. Grade book selected numbers document. Okay, so I can just move the arrows up and down. I'll go back up. 16 write.mov selected QuickTime movie. G drive Q selected. Macintosh HD selected. Okay, now I'll also be able to need to get to menus and the dock. So the menus are pretty easy to remember. It's the VO keys with the M. Menu bar, Apple. Okay, and I can go down. Apple menu. About this Mac. System profiler, ellipsis. 
Software update ellipsis. Okay. Now you'll notice that the mouse arrow is following me along. I actually have that set up as a preference. So um, later that can ease, ease some things. If I want to click the mouse, the mouse is already where I want it to be with the voiceover cursor. I can also separate those so the mouse can be independent of what the voiceover cursor is doing. Uh, let me move to the right. Finder menu. File menu. Edit menu. View menu. Go menu. View menu. So I can navigate pretty quickly and then go down. As icons. Dim command. And you'll notice One. that it actually says that the command is dimmed, so it gives you that visual reference that this is where the command is located, but right now it's not an option for me to use. It doesn't make sense with what I have selected. I can press escape to Macintosh stop. HD selected. And I can go to the dock the same way. The dock is a lot like the start menu on the PC. Um, it's really just a shortcut list. The dock is across the bottom of the screen from left to right. Each icon represents an application or a document I might want to use quite often. And so as a shortcut, I can use VO and D for dock. Finder running. And then just navigate across. So I'll go to the right. Dashboard, Mail, Safari, iChat, Address Book, iCal, Preview. Okay, and I can go back. iCal, Address Book, iChat. And if I want to, I can type ahead. So if I'm looking for something like um, iTunes, I'll just type IT. iTunes. If I want something like GarageBand, GA. GarageBand. Um, what else do I have? Time Machine, T. Time Machine. And I can go back to Dashboard. dashboard. DA for dashboard. So you can type ahead on the dock, you can type ahead on the menu system. Either way works just great. Now we also have a voiceover menu, so if you're stuck and you need to know what to do, there's always help. Um, voiceover and voiceover menu, eight items. F7 brings up the voiceover menu. And I can navigate this using the arrow keys. Help menu. Uh, we have built-in help. Utility, F8. There's a utility for configuring preferences, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let me go into help for just a second. Help menu. I'll go to the right. Help menu, four items. And then I'll go down. Help question mark. Okay. Now it says help question mark, and that question mark is actually the shortcut using the keyboard for getting to the same menu. So if later I don't want to go through all those steps of opening help, going down to help, across, in, over, and around, I can just press VO question mark and help will just come up automatically. So we're actually teaching you how to use VoiceOver a little faster every time. And what we've noticed is you sort of subliminally hear these things as you go through the menus. And you'll just start to think, well, voiceover help, question mark. Oh, that's right. That's what it's called. It's question mark. There I go. And you still almost learn it by accident, if you will. Uh, but it's, of course, a great way to sort of learn shortcuts a little bit faster. Let me, go into, let me go into keyboard help, which is K. I'll press return. And you'll listen to some instructions, which basically tell you to press any key to hear its name. And there's a new addition to this in voiceover leopard, um, which allows you to actually press a voiceover command key and hear the voiceover command. Starting keyboard help. Type keys to hear their names. Hold down the voiceover keys while typing to hear voiceover commands. Press the escape key at the top left corner of the keyboard to stop help. Okay, so it's telling me to press a key. This is how I can discover the keyboard. So if I type an H, H. I type a 5, 5, uh, F3, F3, maybe the space bar, space, control, FN, option, down arrow, return. Backslash. Okay, so I can see the symbol on the screen. I can hear what its name is. If I do something like the T for attributes, it's a voiceover command, voiceover T. Control, option, T. Text style info describes all text attributes. So now I can not only learn the keyboard to learn the layout, but I can actually now probe and find out which key was that for the text attributes, try it safely, and once I remember it, I can press the escape key. Escape, stopping keyboard help. So I've stopped keyboard help. Now I can actually use that and actually get the text attributes of some selected text I might have in an application. So this is a really great tool for learning not only the key layout, but also some of the new function keys. Or if as you're using VoiceOver you forget, there's a great way to go back and, and figure it out. 
So that's sort of a little tour of voiceover. Let's go back now and talk about some of the new features in Leopard, and we'll give a, uh, have a chance to demonstrate some of those. Voiceover off. Okay. So we have amazing features in Mac OS X, Tiger's version of voiceover, and we've gone even further with voiceover in Leopard. We've got a lot of feedback, and feedback is great. And that's one of the exciting things about having a webcast like this, that you can send in your questions. So I'll just do a quick reminder. If you haven't sent in any questions, this is a great time to sort of, hey, I have a question I've been wanting to ask. Send those in as I'm talking. And we'll try and get to those a little later in the broadcast. But we also get um, feedback from some of the events that we, we attend, uh, from emails and such. And a couple of things people had asked for in the Tiger version, we now have in the Leopard version. So one of the improvements that people had asked us about was, can you have a better sounding voice? And so we actually have added a new voice called Alex. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. One of the things I showed you was the navigation using the arrow keys. And we have some shortcuts for moving around quickly. But we've also been asked, can you add element navigation where I can search by go to the next braille or the next um, bold text or go to the next header in a web page um, so I can navigate by objects or elements through a document a little more quickly than sequentially going through every single line, every single item. Um, it ought to, of course, support all the new features in Mac OS X. So uh, as we talked about that with Quick Look and some of those other things, that's actually done as well. Um, one of the big ones was, can we support Braille? A lot of people will use um, Braille output devices, either embossing, uh, pushing uh, dots into paper, or these things called refreshable Braille displays. And we've done an enormous amount of work in Mac OS X Leopard to add Braille support. And I'll demonstrate that here in just a little bit. Um, Application support, can you improve the accessibility for things like iCal and, and iTunes? And um, well, actually, iTunes has been the number one request. And I'm happy to say iTunes is now accessible. So if you know that, that's great. If you don't know that, I want to make sure you understand um, one of the biggest requests we've got is, can, my, can you make iTunes accessible with voiceover? And so absolutely, yes. And if we have some time at the end, I can demonstrate that. And then, of course, make more applications accessible. So every application, Mac OS X, is intended to be accessible. You can try them all. You can try utilities if you want to in the utilities folder. Um, and uh, have a great time using TextEdit and Safari web browsing and iChat and iCal. And uh, there's a whole bunch of applications in there. So let's talk about the new Alex Voice for just a second. We actually heard a little bit earlier. The Alex Voice is new and different. There's no other voice like it on personal computers. It uses a brand new technology that was designed and developed by Apple. It's taken a long time and a lot of resources to do this. It's based on something called concatenative technology, where you take a recorded human voice and then synthesize it together to create words that it might not have been recorded. Um, formative sort of is purely synthesized voices, and they sound very robotic and mechanical. And traditionally have been very good for screen readers, because screen reader users listen to voices at a very, very fast rate. And they don't break down when you speed them up. But they're also not very human or intelligible in a lot of cases. Um, and some casual users that just listen at normal speaking rates don't like them. So Alex is based on concatenative technology, where we did a human recording. But we've been able to figure out a way to make it so that even when it goes very, very fast, it's still very intelligible. And so it's designed for screen readers, even though it's concatenative. And most people would go, well, that's not really intended for that. It absolutely is. And I think you'll have a great time listening to it and enjoying it. One of the other things about Alex that's unique is that it, it actually evaluates not just a sentence before and a sentence after what it wants to say. It evaluates an entire paragraph to grab the context or meaning of what it's about to say and changes intonation and pronunciation depending on what's around it. So this has been done before in sort of small bits. This is the first time it's really been done in a big way to 
allow Alex to speak a sentence differently depending on where it's located in a document or in a paragraph. And so you'll have some fun listening to different sentences sound different, or the same sentence sound different depending on where it is. The other thing that's really cool about Alex, and you'll hear this subtly, you may not hear it in the webcast, but you can try this for yourself, um, is that Alex breathes. And what we found was, is there's sort of these subliminal cues when you're talking with someone, where when they're about to say something really important, they take a breath and prepare themselves, and they maybe think for a second about what they're gonna say, they emphasize a little bit more. And so Alex does the same sort of thing. When he's speaking a very long amount of text, he'll stop, take a breath, and then continue on. And that breath gives you a chance to sort of think about what was just said, be prepared for something new that's about to start, and that subliminal cue really adds an amazing amount to your perception of what's being spoken. Alex is the only voice to do this, and uh, it's in Mac OS X Leopard, so it's a very cool technology. And I think you'll be surprised when you actually start hearing and breathe. Did he, did, he really, did he really breathe? I think I just heard that. It's very cool. And as I mentioned, Alex, of course, is designed to run at a very fast rate, over 750 words per minute. So whether you're scamming a document, or scanning a document, um, skimming it, I was going to say, or um, just going word by word, you can use the same voice to do either one. Now, as we talked about, there's a bunch of navigation enhancement in Mac OS X Leopard. So one of the things we've been asked for is element navigation. And so now, in fact, you can actually navigate element at a time if you want to. And I think what we should do is actually take a little demonstration of what that might look like. So um, we'll stop here for a second and do that. There's also the ability to search if you want to. So you can, uh, within VoiceOver, ask it to search for text. Um, Hotspots and Numpad Commander we'll come back and talk about in just a second. So let's take a look at this element navigation. So I'm going to go into Safari web browser. Uh, let me launch that. I just happen to have it going to the ESPN uh, homepage. It's a good page. It has lots of content. If you're a sports fan, you can catch up on the latest news that's going on. Um, I'll turn on VoiceOver. VoiceOver on. Okay. And then I'll just start to navigate around a little bit. HTML content. I'm now on the main web page, the content area. HTML content. Toolbar. I'll go backwards. I'll go up. And now I'm on the toolbar that's at the top of the window that runs all the way across. And you'll notice in VoiceOver Leopard, the toolbar, if you've used VoiceOver before in Tiger, is now one element. It's one object, even though it consists of multiple things. So there's a bunch of buttons in there. There's some text fields. There's a search area. Um, that's all considered one element. And to actually interact with each of the individual things, I do something called interaction, where I can stop and and uh, sort of bound my movement to only the elements within that object. So in this case, I'll uh, interact with the toolbar. Interact with toolbar. And eight items, back, dim button, H toolbar, interact with toolbar, HTML content. Let me try that again. Toolbar, interact with forward, dim button, stop slash reload button, open dashboard button, add bookmarked button. HTTP slash slash ESPN.go.com slash page address edit text. Vertical splitter. Google search text field. Okay. So you get a sense of sort of the buttons and the text fields in that toolbar. Stop interacting with toolbar. HTML content. Let me go back into the HTML content and uh, let me search for some um, different things here. I will uh, maybe go by header. So let me do the uh, VO command um, H. Heading level three. Wednesday's feature chats. Okay, and you notice that the screen has now scrolled to show me in the lower right-hand corner um, Wednesday's featured chats. This is a heading level three. I'm going to zoom up the uh, or magnify the voiceover cursor so it might be a little bit easier to find here. Voiceover three. Okay, 
and you can magnify the cursor as big as the screen. But in this case, I'll just go three levels up. Um, let me go back and search for the next header. Heading level one, light the fuse. Okay, so you notice that it found that he heading level one. These headings are actually part of the HTML content that's created by ESPN, so they're part of the web page. And of course, heading ones will probably be main topics, big stories. Heading threes might be smaller stories. And so I get a clue as to where this information is or how important it is on that page, depending on the heading level. And you'll notice that I went heading by heading from level one, level three. It's just going in the order the page was created. So let me do one more. Heading level one. Heading level one. Heading level one, fantasy. Heading level one, mild high misery. Heading level one, four items. Email verdict, heading level one. Okay. Heading level three, it's time to find out if this team has become stale due to the lack of improvement. Heading level one, contestant okay. special sections. And so you can hear there's level ones and level threes. What I can do now is actually ask it for just the same heading level. So if I want to eliminate the threes and only look at ones or only look at threes, um, I can do that too. Um, let me check and see what the key is here real quick. I think it's uh, M. Heading level one, contestant special sections. Heading level one, contestant special. Heading level one, national voice. Heading level one, four. Heading level one, mild high misery. Heading level one, fantasy. Okay, so that's using the, the VO, the command, the M key. And you notice that it skipped over the level three and it's only listening to level ones. Um, I can also use the same technique of element navigation to look for links. So if I want to, I can do VO command L. Link, Ryan Grant. You'll actually notice that if you're seeing this that that's actually an image that's a link image. Link, TMR. Link, Hack and Vic, are you for? Link, Carl Blog. Visited link, Denver fan. Visited link, story. So I can go forward or backward link by link. Um, if I click on this, HTML content. Of course, Visited it takes link. me to a new page. I'll go back. Back. HTML content. And now, if I want to, I can actually uh, search by uh, visited links instead of just any link that happens to be there. So, if I go to a page and I've visited certain links in that page and I want to go back again, they're a little bit easier to find the next time. So, um, that's VO command V. Visited link ESPN. Visited link ESPN.com. Okay, and you'll hear that little sound effect. I don't know if you can pick it up on the webcast. It's sort of, and we've added a bunch of sound effects into VoiceOver Leopard to assist you in providing more information about when you reach the end of a list or a command can't be accomplished or something in the background changes. Visited link, ESPN. Let me go backwards. Visited link, ESPN.com. So I can walk backward and forward. You heard the sound effect again there. So element navigation is now available in Safari. Of course, it's also available in text documents if you want to navigate to the next bold text or the, the, the uh, italic text or that sort of thing. Um, you can do that too. Let me uh, put this away for just a second. Visited link, ESPN.finder, Macintosh HD selected, voiceover off. Okay, we'll come back to our presentation. So that's sort of a quick look at element navigation is built in. There's a whole range of commands you can search on and different elements that you can navigate to. Um, if you open the voiceover utility, there's an, actually a help item that lists all of the new voiceover commands, so you can find those pretty easily. One of the other things that's kind of cool is hotspots. Hotspots allow you to set a location where the voiceover cursor is sitting uh, and monitor it. You can jump back to it from anywhere that you want to. 
Um, or you can just sort of ask what's going on if that spot is changing. So I'll go to a web page, the Apple page, where text is changing all the time, and maybe I'm busy in another application or in another window, and I can go back and ask it, what does it say now? What's going on now? And if I need to, I can even jump back there. Let's take a look at that. VoiceOver on, Finder, Macintosh HD selected. Okay. I'm going to use Spotlight to launch Safari. Spotlight search text field. R. Safari, window, ESPN, okay. the worldwide leader in sports. Visited link, okay. ESPN.com. Safari has new window. Let me open up a new page. Window, HTML content, HTML Safari has new. I'll go into the uh, URL field. HTTP slash selection deleted. Okay. W period, Apple period slash. I'll go to Apple.com. Safari has new window. Okay. Let me scroll down just a little bit. Now, if you're watching on the screen here, you'll see where I'm pointing in the middle of this page where there's something called hot news headlines. This is where text is actually changing all the time. So I'm going to navigate down to that with a voiceover cursor. Interact with HTML content. Link. Edit. Visited. Visit, visited link. Two million copies of Leopard sold in first okay. weekend. And I'm going to set a hotspot there using VO Shift 1. Save as hotspot 1. And as long as I'm running VO and I haven't quit or I haven't stopped the application, it will remember this hotspot so I can come back to it later. Now, if I want to switch windows, I'll switch back using the window chooser. Window, Apple. Window chooser menu, Apple. I'll go ESPN. back to ESPN. Visited link, ESPN.com. Let's navigate a little bit. Vertical link, vertical link, okay. profile. And let's say that I want to know what's going on in that hotspot. I'm not even in that window. It's in the background. Well, I can use uh, an inquiry to ask what's happening in that hotspot. That hotspot no longer exists. <laughs> I put it away, apparently. I'm sorry. I must have hit the wrong key there. Let's go back and see if we can set that again. Visited link. Quick link. One visited link. Leopard. Something any Mac user will want. Save as hotspot one. Okay. Go to our new link window. profile. Ask for number one. Visited link. iPhone leads and stuffs. Cool list 2007. Okay. If we wait a second, I'll ask it again. Visited link. Leper delivers a mountain of features. I'll ask it again. Visited link. Quick tip of the week. Customized keynote 8 print options. Okay. So what you see is even though I'm in the ESPN page, I'm actually asking it about what's going on in a different document or a different window. Uh, in this application, it could be in a different application. Um, and if I need to go over there, V visited link, Leopard makes using a Mac both more productive and more fun. I can just press control option of the VO keys and the hotspot number, number one, and it will actually switch me to that place so I can go take care of something I might need to do. So hotspots are new in Leopard. Uh, VoiceOver, they're really cool. You can have up to 10 of them, so zero through nine. Uh, you can monitor them or you can just use them as sort of bookmarks to jump back to. Um, it's a really cool way of um, actually sort of accessorizing an application that might not be easy to navigate. A good example of this is if I want to go to a search field and there's no command F shortcut, maybe I want to set a hotspot there so I can create my own. If I keep going back to do that search field, I can just press hotspot one. It will take me there as if there was a new keyboard shortcut. So it's a great way to sort of customize an application to make it easier for you to navigate around to the places within the app that you use the most. Okay. Well, the other thing I want to talk about, let's go back and uh, turn this off. Visited Hide link, that. quick tip of the week, customized Keynote 8 print options. Finder, Macintosh HD, selected, voiceover off. 
go back in a keynote here. One of the things we talked about was the uh, NumKit commander. Now, when we talked to a lot of people, they said, you know, this voiceover thing's pretty cool. You just hold down the control option key and navigate, pretty simple. But we had a lot of people say, you know, it's, I have to use two hands. So we have a command that uh, VO semicolon that locks those keys down on the left. So you can just use one hand with the arrow keys and move around if you want to. But what we thought about for this time was how do we make it easier for people using Windows to come to the Mac? And we know that for most screen readers, or a lot of screen readers, you use the numeric keypad on a desktop keyboard. That's the 10 keypad or the accounting keypad. And so we said, you know, if you have a desktop computer um, and you have that additional 10 keypad, is there something we could do that would make it even easier, even better, more fun? So um, we invented something called the NumPad Commander. And what it does is allows you to program that with keys you use a lot. Now, we've pre-programmed it with navigation keys and some things, which I'll show you here. Uh, let me show you on the screen. We took the sort of the cardinal directions up, down, left, right, and mapped those to those keys. So when you enable NumPad Commander, you can use one hand and that keypad to move up, down, left, and right. Now, you can actually program other keys. So we programmed in um, the interaction keys as well. In the middle of that NumPad, we, we put the mouse click. And then we added stop and start interaction keys there because you use those a lot when you're investigating an element that has more objects inside. So it's sort of a cool way to um, customize the keyboard layout. Um, it's a great way if you just prefer to use one hand or you're used to doing that, um, called the numpad commander. You can program any of the keys that are highlighted here from clear, equals, slash, star, all the way down to 0 through 9, the plus, the enter, all of those keys. And you get to choose how you program them. So there's a really cool utility called VoiceOver Utility that allows you with a new pane to pick which function you want for which key. Um, but they are pre-programmed to sort of get you started. If you want to change that, you certainly can. Now, we designed the, the keyboard layout so that it works no matter what Mac you have. Remember, there's 15 million Macs out there. So the standard way to use VoiceOver is with the home keys. Um, and that works on a laptop, a desktop, any keyboard you're likely to find. But if you have an extended keyboard and you like that numpad, there's this new feature called numpad commander that lets you have um, additional keys that are just one stroke for, to make it convenient. Um, or you can actually use it to navigate and, and manage the, the voiceover system. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things in Mac OS X. We talked about CoverFlow and Quick Look, Screen Sharing, Time Machine, iChat. I just want to emphasize that all of those things are accessible using VoiceOver. I notice we're getting uh, pretty far in our time here. So uh, if we have some time, we'll go take a look at those um, using VoiceOver. Uh, but I wanted to just emphasize that all of the new things that we're talking about with Leopard, you can still get to even though you're using a screen reader. Now, as I mentioned, there's a, a, a bunch of things that are sort of the big ticket items in VoiceOver. But there's some small things, too. And if you've used VoiceOver before in Mac OS X Tiger, you might notice some changes. So let me start with the little things, and we'll get to some of the big stuff. As you mentioned, there's additional visuals. So for example, the rotor that you use to change the speed, the pitch, the tone of the voice used to just be audio. You'd press a key, you'd hear something, you wouldn't see anything. And so we've added more visuals for that and for other things. So again, sighted users that you're working with can follow what you're doing a little bit easier. We've also added, as you've heard, a lot more sound effects. So when you bump up against something as you're navigating, um, you'll hear a sound effect when a screen um, is finished drawing in Safari. When you've gone to a new page, you'll hear a completion sound so you know that it's finished. Um, you'll hear things for uh, turning on and off features and such. We also heard back that. Um, Wrapping is great in some cases, but not great in every case. And so if you're navigating through a long list of elements and you reach the end, it used to be that you could just sort of press the right arrow key one more time and wrap around to the top and sort of get back to where you started. 
And that's convenient if you're going through the list multiple times, but we've also heard from a lot of users that in practicality, they'd rather have that hard stop at the end and hear a sound so they know that's the end of the list and they don't get confused that maybe the list is longer than it really is. So the default setting in VoiceOver Leopard is that you have hard borders now and you'll hear that sound. There's a checkbox in VoiceOver Utility that allows you to wrap. So if you prefer the old way, you can set that back, no problems. But uh, you'll now notice that wrapping is off by default in Leopard. I already mentioned the toolbars are generally single element items now. That makes it faster. So the VoiceOver cursor typically starts in the upper left-hand corner of a new window. And a lot of windows have a ruler or a toolbar with lots of elements in it. And what we found is it took a long time to navigate through all of those items to get to the content area. So we've treated it now as one thing. You click once, you go right past it into the content, you get to interact with what you want to do. And if you need to go back to that toolbar ruler, you can do that and then interact with the individual elements on it. So much faster, much easier way to navigate. We also heard that people wanted to hear when they had a misspelling in text. So um, now there's a checkbox that it's set by default. When you're reading a document or navigating through it, it will say misspelled and then tell you the word that's misspelled so you can go back and correct it if you want to. You can have it play a sound or you can have it speak the fact that it's misspelled or do nothing if you prefer to do that and check spelling later. We also have something that's new for laptops. Laptops have um, an extra key in the lower left corner called the FN key, the function key. And it allows you to use the function keys across the top for two purposes. One to control the hardware, like brightness on the screen or the volume level of the sound. But you can also use them as function keys like F1, F2, F3. Then by pressing the FN key, you can change how those, inter those operate. Well, on a laptop key when using VoiceOver, you almost always want to use them as soft function keys, not the hardware controls. So we sense that. We have keyboard sensing in VoiceOver. So when you activate VoiceOver, it will flip those over so that you're always using those keys as the soft function key so you don't have to press the FN key in the lower left-hand corner. You can just press the function key like you'd expect. And then, of course, when you quit, it goes back. So kind of a convenience there. Uh, there's also a brand new VoiceOver utility. Um, we'll take a look at that here in just a second. It's been, got an all-new layout. There's keyboard shortcuts to go from pane to pane to pane for each of the categories of items. Um, as we mentioned, there's a built-in interactive quick start. In the past, in Tiger, the quick start happened the first time you turned on the computer. But now, what we've heard is people love it and they want to keep using it. They want to use it as a training tool. They want to teach their friends or, or play it over again and learn some more touch up on their skills. So it's now built into VoiceOver, so you can go back at any time and rerun that entire experience uh, going into VoiceOver Help or, or pressing a keyboard shortcut to get to it. We've also expanded the keyboard help, as I mentioned, so you can hear the functions as well as the names of the keys. And uh, there's a third thing that it does, which we'll talk about in just a second when we get to Braille. The last thing that's kind of cool is portable preferences. Portable preferences allows you to take something like, um, like this little USB thumb key. Uh, it's just a little storage device. And this one happens to be 2 gig, but you can buy them you know, 128 meg all the way up to 4 gig and maybe even larger. Um, but what you can do is save all of your voiceover preferences with you on this little device. And if you use portable preferences in the voiceover utility, when you plug this into your computer and voiceover is running, it will sense it. And it will ask you, I've sensed portable preferences. Would you like me to switch to those? And it will automatically take in all of your personal settings for the numpad commander, for um, the caption panel, for the, the navigation, for Safari preference, all these types of things. And it will automatically import all those and use those on your system. So for example, since Mac OS X is on so many millions of computers, and you might walk up to any one of them and use the screen reader, all you have to do is carry this. You can go to a library, plug this in, turn on VoiceOver, and, 
it will sense it and it'll know, hey, I want to use my preferences. It'll act just like it acts at home. You could take this to school, configure your system. When you come home, your home computer works just like it works at school. And so now you can carry your voiceover personality, if you will, on this little device anywhere you go. And these go on keychains if you need them to. Um, so it's really easy to have the voiceover experience no matter where you happen to be just by carrying this little device. So let's talk about one of the coolest, newest features in Leopard for voiceover, and that's Braille. So a couple of quick facts. Many of you may know a lot about Braille. Some of you watching might not know anything at all. So um, let me start uh, simple and kind of build up to what we're doing here. Uh, Braille, of course, are these dots that represent um, traditional characters in print. Uh, they're typically raised dots on a piece of paper so you can feel them. And of course, we've all seen Braille placards by um, exits and, and, and signs and things in different buildings. It was invented in France by Louis Braille in 1821, so it's been around a very, very long time. Um, it uses six numbered dots. So you can take a character and convert it into a code that's six dots. That's two to the six combinations, which generally works pretty well. Computers actually have more characters than what you typically have in a printed page, and so uh, it's expanded. Computer Braille actually adds two additional dots, which gives you two to the eight numbers of potential combinations so that we can encode different additional characters. And so uh, the Mac supports computer Braille so we can get to those extra characters if we need them. Braille typically can be localized. So if you're in America, you'll have English Braille. But if you're in France, you'll have French Braille. Uh, just like any other type of printed material. Uh, if you're in Germany, you'll have German Braille and so on. So um, we're supporting US or American English Braille at the, at the moment. Um, we're taking, of course, feedback on which other languages you would like to have going forward. I know there's a lot of international uh, viewers today and listeners. So send us your email, and I'll give you the address at the end of the broadcast. If you haven't ever seen them, Braille documents are pretty big. I actually have a sample here. So um, this is an embossed Braille document, and it's, it's pretty thick. Um, it actually takes two volumes to cover what normally would be in like a 100-page document. And that's because, of course, it's a little bit puffy. And, and Braille is spaced apart. Um, so it's about three Braille pages to one printed page. And so there's been a lot of mechanisms to try and condense that and make it smaller. Um, there's something called grade one Braille, which is really important. It's just letter for letter, character for character, um, one cell for each letter. Contracted or grade two Braille uses contractions to sort of shorten that up and take up less space. When you have an embossed Braille document, um, there's something called interpoint, which allows you to actually push the, the dots through the paper from both sides with the lines sort of interplaced inter, um, so that you don't feel the bumps um, interfering with the bumps on the one side from the other side. And that, of course, can reduce the size of documents. So a couple of interesting little facts about Braille if you're not really familiar with it. Um, here's a kind of a quick Braille primer. This is a single Braille cell. So this would be uh, kind of equivalent to a single character. There's dots, of course, and there's six of them. They're arranged in a numbered order, so that's important. Um, dot one, two, and three, of course, go down from the left side, starting in the top right, four, five, and six. And those numbers are actually referred to in a lot of cases with computers and also uh, as you're learning Braille and what they mean. For a computer, they add two more dots at the bottom. They don't go down anymore. They go across. So lower left corner is seven, lower right corner is eight, and that gives you the computer Braille cell. So just for an example, if I wanted to represent the letter A in American English Braille, the upper left dot, dot one, would be pushed up or highlighted, and that would represent the A character. B, I add the dot number two, um, C, um, dot one and four. So using this code, you can create, of course, printed pages using the Braille code. So I, what I have on the screen now is sort of two examples. The top example shows a, a, a 
collection of Braille cells going left to right. They represent um, grade one character for character Braille. So each cell has a single um, character represent that it represents. Below that is another set of Braille cells that show a contracted version. And you can see that it's fewer Braille cells required, so you can get the information more quickly when you're reading it, and it takes up less space. Grade two Braille, of course, is used most commonly for printed or embossed documents. So um, Apple supports grade one and grade two, because if you need the precision of editing a word, for example, the P in Apple or the L in Apple, you need to get to that exact character, not the contracted version. So we actually do on the fly conversion between grade one and grade two as you stop on an item so you can edit it. When you move off, it goes back to contracted, and I'll show you what that looks like. So, if you've never seen one before, this is called a refreshable Braille display. Um, these are little handheld devices, and they have Braille cells in you know, 12, 20, 32, 40, 80, depending on the, the device. Uh, and these little pins inside, and the pins pop up and down to represent a Braille character. And what's cool and what's the refreshable part is that as you move the cursor on the screen, those pins will adjust and move to represent what you're currently reading or listening to. And so they change as, as you go. And you stop, you read it, and of course you can move left to right to get a new um, collection of Braille or a new line of Braille, if you will. This is a device from Humanware. Um, we support this device, by the way. These guys are, this is a cool device. It's called a Braille Connect 32. And you'll see in the picture here that it has some square buttons across the top. Each of those represents one of the dots on the Braille cell. So dots one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, left and right, you can actually uh, press or, or input Braille commands using Braille characters as well. There's uh, buttons on the left and right hand side. These are for navigation, so you can move up or down, left or right, interact and things. And each of these, when you plug it in, takes on some characteristics for voiceover. Um, you'll notice, though, as I go to the next device, it looks a lot different. And so refreshable Braille displays don't all look the same. They don't always act the same, but they do the same function. This is a really cool device. It's brand new from Optelec called an Alva BC640. Um, it's just coming out now, and it's actually supported in Mac OS X Leopard using VoiceOver. And it, of course, has a row of Braille cells as well. Um, the buttons are in a slightly different location. There's sort of a, a joystick controller thing there as well. Um, and so uh, depending on which Braille device you prefer or use, it might be feeling different and looking different, and the organization might be different. Here's one more. This is an Alva satellite, or 544 satellite traveler. This one's actually really big. In fact, a keyboard, a computer keyboard, sits on top of it. Uh, and it has a ton of Braille cells on it. You'll notice the input keys are in a different location. They're round and sort of on the top corners of the, of the uh, Braille device. But each button can be programmed to do something different or individual. So um, if you want to have it pan to the left or pan to the right or bring up uh, some information, you can just press the key and do that. Uh, what I have on the screen now is the list of the refreshable Braille displays supported in Mac OS X Leopard. Um, there's Braille displays from the company called Bomb, Pocket Vario, Super Vario, Vario Connect. Um, we support Freedom Scientific, uh, Focus, PacMate, um, refreshable Braille displays. We also support uh, Humanware Braille Connects and Brilliance. And from Optelec, the Alva BC640 series, the 544 series, 584, and the Optelec Voyager 44. So there's quite a number of these um, that we support right out of the box. And of course, over time, we'll be adding support for additional ones. So if you have recommendations or suggestions for devices you'd like to support, we'd love to hear from you. And again, we'll give you the email at the end of the broadcast. So um, let's actually try this out. Let's see what Braille is like on a Macintosh and um, see what it looks like. So in the studio here, I actually have um, this little uh, Humanware Braille Connect 32. It's 32 cells across. You can see it actually fits in my hand pretty well. 
Um, you can see the buttons up here for uh, the braille dots and of course some of the, the navigation buttons here. There's actually a little joystick in the bottom center that I can use to control the voiceover cursor or pan left and right and do things like that. So um, I'm just going to plug this in. Actually, let me turn on uh, voiceover first. Voiceover on Finder, Macintosh HD selected. Um, I'll plug this in. You might hear it beep a little bit. You hear our little sounds. And now I have a refreshable braille display. So as I move the cursor, these dots, I mean, you can't see them probably, but a lot of the dots here are lifted uh, to represent the braille characters. These are not. Um, and so I can actually read across what the voiceover cursor is currently sitting on, which is the Macintosh HD selected. As I move the cursor around, uh, those dots will change. G drive Q selected. Okay. Now that's hard to see here, and I can't do this in the studio because, of course, you can't put your fingers on it. But we have this really cool feature in, in VoiceOver now called the Braille Panel. And this is an incredible tool for teaching and training for a sighted user to assist someone or just to simply sort of watch over someone's shoulder because, of course, their hands are on the Braille display. So we've added this new, um, this new panel. On the screen right now, you'll see the caption panel, which represents what's being spoken. So let me turn on the uh, show braille panel. The braille panel. Now the braille panel you can have along with the caption panel or instead of it's up to you or you can have none of them if you don't need them. But for a sighted user to follow along this is really cool. And, and what this does uniquely on the Mac is it gives you the, what's being shown on the braille display on screen. Now what's cool is you don't even have to have a braille display. You can have the braille panel on screen by itself. It's just part of the leopard system with voiceover. So you can learn or practice um, how to t teach Braille or use Braille if you're a sighted user, or if you're practicing to assist someone, you can sort of get the sense of how this stuff works so that when someone does actually have a refreshable Braille display, you can work with them, which is the whole idea here. So in this case, I'm sitting on the G Drive queue. Let me go up with the voiceover cursor. Macintosh HD selected. Okay, and you can see that that Braille has actually now changed. It gives me the English translation and the uh, grade two Braille um, right above it so I can see what's going on there. Now, the first time I use a Braille display, I might not know what all the keys do on the Braille display. They will do pretty much what you expect if you've used this display before. Um, and the beauty of the Mac is that this is just plug and play. On a PC, you have to install drivers, you configure all the buttons and all these things. I just plugged it in and it's Brailling automatically. That's really cool and really unique on the Macintosh. So completely plug and play on the Mac, you just plug it in and it starts working. If I want to uh, customize the keys or learn how those things are programmed, I can do that using the keyboard help. So let me go into um, opening voiceover help. Whoops, not voiceover help. I want help um, viewer window voiceover. I'm going to do the voiceover Finder, menu. Macintosh HD select voiceover menu help menu for help keyboard help K starting keyboard help type keys to hear their names. Hold down the voiceover keys while typing to hear voiceover commands. Press the escape key at the top left corner of the keyboard to stop help. Okay, so now if I actually start pressing buttons on the Braille display, you'll hear their description. So let me press one of the dot keys. Dot one, dot two, dot three, dot seven, escape, dot eight. Let me press one of the uh, keys over here. D2, left, move voiceover cursor left to nearest item. So if I press that dot, that button, it will actually move the voiceover cursor on the screen. So now I have an interactive device here. Let me press uh, this key down here. F1. Function key one over here on the right. F4. How about this one? D5. Okay. Right. D4. Stop interacting with item. Stop. Router. Primary so router, keys. Router, router keys. Primary router keys. Keys used for primary router functionality, and including I'll... routing the focus and showing status details. Escape. Stopping keyboard help. Okay, so I can stop keyboard help for just a second. So 
really simply. We go into keyboard help to learn the keys of the keyboard, but we can also learn to the keys of the Braille device as well, just that simply. Now, we support all the things you'd expect on a Braille display. So on the left-hand side, you have status keys that tell you about what's going on, attributes and things. We support up to, or set cells, I should say. We support up to three. So you can set one, two, or three. You can move them to the right. If the device has dedicated cells for that, we, we uh, honor that, and you can just use those by themselves. Um, we support all of the router keys, so if you want to move the cursor to um, the item above where the, the Braille is located, um, you just press that router key and the voiceover cursor will go there. If you press it a second time, it actually will interact with that object, whatever's in the screen, whether it's a button or something like that. So um, let's go back here for just a second. Um, I think a little bit of a audio feedback. I think that's the, the Safari page on ESPN, that kind of whoosh sound. Yeah, let me go into Safari real quick and turn that off. Safari. Dialog alert. Cast finder. Macintosh HD selected. Okay. So um, if I want to get status, I can just press the router key on the left where the status cell is. And now in my Braille panel, I can actually see here what each of the dots in that status cell represent. So dot one is general status. It's, it's checked. Um, I can go over to uh, announcements. Uh, number two, um, system volume, voiceover focus. And so I can actually pan across left and right and see what those status cells are telling me. Uh, pressing any router key gets me out of that so I can go back to not just the, um, the status area, but also just sort of what I'm on now with voiceover. So as I move G around. Drive one six, grade book, can, selected numbers it. document. Okay, let's talk, let's go back to uh, turn that off. Voiceover off. Okay. So Leopard Braille features. It's a completely plug-and-play system. You can take a Braille device that's supported, plug it right into your computer. It starts working right away. No configuration, no setup. One of the coolest things about that, well, I'll come back to that. It's uh, what you can do with it at startup time. Um, we support American English 8-dot computer Braille. We support the input keys, um, panning, uh, router key support, contracted and non-contracted, as I talked about, and up to three status cells if they're not already dedicated on the device. We also have an announcement history. So as messages are coming to you, it's remembering those. And you can go back and sort of go back in the past and hear something you might have missed if you weren't paying close attention. Um, this is the cool part. Because it's plug and play, you can plug this Braille device in when you're installing Mac OS X. Because VoiceOver is there when you're installing Mac OS X, you can use VoiceOver to set up your system unassisted. You can also Braille that unassisted. You can use the Braille display while you're using the Quick Start tutorial. So wherever VoiceOver is running, you have access to Braille now uh, in a really convenient, simple way. As we talked about using keyboard help, you can discover what all those keys are if you don't use them all or, or don't know what they are. Maybe somebody just bought you a device and you're not quite familiar with it yet. Just interactively by exploring, you can learn what each of those keys does. And we have a way to customize it. I don't have time to talk about that today, but uh, um, it's very, very cool. Basically, you just Go to the voiceover utility, hold down the keys, listen for a doot, 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 ping, and it's programmed whatever function you selected into that key cord or into that input device. Incredibly simple and incredibly cool. And of course, only on the Mac do you have the Braille panel for interacting and uh, working with sighted users. Let me sort of um, close out here by just saying that not only do we support Braille devices for displays, but since Mac OS X Tiger, two companies have been providing a solution for Braille embossing that are great. Um, Index Braille provides a solution called iBraille. It's a software application. It's free. You can download it from their website um, that allows you to import or type text and then translate it into Braille so you can emboss it. 
and they work specifically with um, sided electronics embossers. There's a series of them. You can pick the one that works best for you, whether it's a desktop sort of home unit or more of an industrial professional unit. Um, this is a professional level solution that allows you to do full braille professional embossing um, if you need it. This is sort of a picture of what this third-party solution looks like. Um, iBraille has a basic word processing kind of window. Of course, there's tools and things. And then when you ask to translate it, you get a new window or new view of it that has the Braille output. And you can tweak and format that according to whatever specifications you have for your Braille output. But it's a very, very cool solution that's available. We talked about applications that are accessible. And of course, Mac OS X comes with tons of applications. Um, a couple of the ones we talked about is iTunes, um, also iChat iCal is now accessible, address book, every icon on here, front row, which is the first sort of built-in media player um, in the Macintosh, uh, is completely accessible to talking applications. So you can sit with your remote control, it comes with your Macintosh, and just click a button and listen to your mo movies or, or your podcast, uh, music, whatever you happen to do, um, completely accessible with voiceover. And of course, Automator, which is a really cool system for sort of simplifying complicated tasks with lots of steps and saying, just remember that. Watch me do that. Remember it. And then when I click, do it all again. So if you have routine things you do all the time, you can automate them with Automator. And that's a completely accessible application as well. So I encourage you to explore all of the bits and pieces of your Macintosh for accessibility um, and take advantage of that using uh, VoiceOver and Leopard. So we talked about feedback. And I think we've covered most of these. We have new Alex Voice. We have Element Navigation. It supports the new OS features. We have Braille support in a fantastic way. Um, iTunes, of course, is supported. And we've improved our applications as well. But of course, there's always room for improvement. And we'll always want to have more applications. So we continue to work with uh, groups within Apple and also third-party developers to make their apps accessible as well. If you want to learn more about VoiceOver, and um, there's a lot of great resources available. Um, we talked about the built-in quick start. So that's a downloadable thing for Tiger. You have to come to our website um, to get it. But in, in Leopard, it's actually built right into the software, so there's no download. It's all right there. We have the keyboard help, which we demonstrated today. Um, there's, of course, voiceover online help if you need it. And within that, there's some menu commands for knowing what all the command shortcut keys are. Uh, and of course, you have a topical search if you need to use that. We also have provided a document for teachers and trainers. Um, it looks like this. It's in PDF. And uh, it's a key map. It's in color. We also have a black and white one if you need that. This can be scaled to be poster size or it can be printed small. It's a pocket card, whatever suits your needs. But it gives you sort of a quick reference for learning how to use VoiceOver. Um, it's a PDF document. It's available online. We'll have these posted soon. If you need them earlier, you're welcome to send us email and we'll try and get them out. They're usually pretty small. We also have a really terrific PDF that's going to be available online as well called VoiceOver Getting Started. It's about 110 pages or so and it has a narrative walking you through all of the features of VoiceOver, all of the options, some tricks for using applications that are built into the system with VoiceOver. Um, very, very cool, and you can get that as well. There are um, some other places you might be interested in um, that are third-party websites or organizations I think are pretty cool. There's one called MacVisionaries.com, and they actually have a very active email discussion list. Um, these are people that actually use this product every day, all day, and can give you real practical, objective opinions about what works and what doesn't and how it works. So you can subscribe by email and have those delivered to you, or you can go visit their archive on the website and listen in. This is a terrific resource. If you just want to find someone else that's going through this or learning it or has done it before, this is probably a great way to get started. There's also an absolutely fantastic podcast you can subscribe to on iTunes called Screenless Switchers. Um, these are, it's actually run by uh, Darcy Bernard and Holly Anderson, if you're watching, hello. 
uh, great work, and we thank you for that. Um, these are two people that actually decided to take the plunge and actually go from Windows to a Mac using VoiceOver and started from scratch. They knew nothing. And they've been documenting their experiences as they go. I think there's about 13 or so episodes so far, and you can catch up with them. They, they do them uh, on a regular basis. But um, it's really fun and entertaining, and you can, of course, uh, respond back to them via their website if you want to. If you want to learn about some of the uh, world of accessibility and some of the third-party products and other web pages you might want to visit, visit lioncourt.com. This is a brand new site, but it's uh, starting off really well. And uh, you can get to links to other accessibility topics for the Macintosh and sort of hear what the latest and greatest news is for accessibility on the Mac. Some of the products that I thought I would mention is uh, one is Assistiveware. They make a range of accessibility products for the Mac. Uh, they also have a podcast, which is fantastic. I encourage you to take a look at that. Um, they also offer foreign languages. So if you're watching around the world and you want to have a system that speaks French or German, VoiceOver and Leopard is now localized in eight languages. So you can have German and Spanish, um, Japanese, Chinese, French. Uh, there's a couple others, I think. But um, they're, they're language kits. They give you multiple voices in a certain language kit. They're $99 or so, which is a great price. Um, and you can also buy some accessibility technology applications specific for the Mac for zooming and uh, talking and that sort of thing. Kepstrel, another company that makes foreign languages for the Mac. These are synthesizers. You just add that. When you change the international system preps in the Mac, the voiceover menus will actually change as well, and you'll actually hear the entire voiceover system being spoken to you in your native language. So um, their voices are about $30 each. You can download them off the Internet, um, a great other company. I want to thank, too, Optelec, providing the uh, Alva uh, BC640 that I use today. Uh, we support a range of their products, so visit their website. And of course, Humanware, which provided the Braille Connect 32, uh, and we work with a range of their products as well. So um, if you're looking for some other devices that we showed today or just want to learn more, feel free to visit them on their website. If you want to send us email, send accessibility at apple.com, and we will be happy to respond to you as best we can. If you want to ask for some of these documents before they get posted on our website, we'll be happy to send them to you. Or if you just have ideas or suggestions and want to get in touch with us, um, this is the, uh, the central email address, and you will get a response uh, if you ask for one. So um, take advantage of that as best you can. Uh, all of this has been shown in Mac OS X Leopard 10.5. It's available today. It just started uh, shipping last week. Um, if you have a Mac already and want to upgrade to this, you just need an Intel-based Mac, a PowerPC G5-based Mac, or a PowerPC G4 with 867 megahertz processor or better. So it runs on lots and lots of systems. You need 512 megs of memory minimum. More is better, of course, but you only need 512 to get started with Leopard, um, a DVD drive to put the disk in, and of course, 9 gigabytes of disk space to, to install it. It's only $129, and when you think of that in terms of the cost of a traditional screen reader, it's about a tenth of the price, so um, we think pretty competitive. Aside from the other 300 features you're getting, you're getting the screen reader in there as well. If you have multiple computers at home, you can buy a family pack for just $199. This allows you a license to install it on up to five machines in your house, so it's a great value, and of course, you get a screen reader on every single one of those if you need it, and all those other accessibility features as well. If you don't have a Mac and you're sort of intrigued by all this, I have some really good news for you because you can buy a complete Macintosh with Leopard, with VoiceOver, and applications for less than $600 and have a brand new computer. This is a computer that has Bluetooth, Wi-Fi wireless, USB and Firewire, an Intel 1.83 gigahertz processor, lots of RAM, uh, DVD burner drive, everything you could want in a new modern computer that fits in the palm of your hand. It's six inches square by three inches high called the Mac Mini. And it's intended to hook up to your existing uh, VGA PC display and keyboard, or of course a Mac keyboard and display uh, and mouse. So you can bring either one that you want. And in fact, a lot of people have said, we don't even need a display. 
because I use VoiceOver. So you can just buy it by itself as a CPU. So just an absolutely tremendous value to get started on the Macintosh. This one will also run Windows if you're transitioning over and need to have that safety net. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. I hope it was interesting and you learned a few things. Great. Now, this has been a great webcast, lots of information. Thanks again for all the viewers, and go to maclearning.org. Uh, we should have the archive and some uh, qu answers to your questions, uh, hopefully, by uh, next week. Thank you.